Alright, we're live. Cool. I'm Robert Bordelon Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader, and the title of this video is the title of my book, which you probably can't see because it's dark because I'm driving to work at Dark 30 like you do somewhere. Haha! Facing the right way and everything. Bam! You probably see some of that. I'll put a picture somewhere. I'm still figuring out the internet, everybody. Give me a break. The Blue Collar Blind Spot is the name of my book. It has three primary objectives because uh, blue collar people are not being heard because they're not speaking up because they have work to do. Uh, they don't have time to uh, spend a lot of time on social media posting, though they consume quite a bit of it. Also, uh, I want to put work in its true place in Christian life because it's been kind of a drudgery we must endure rather than something we should joyfully put our hand to. And uh, number three, Christ was a carpenter. Jesus Christ worked with wood to make stuff with an axe. And that's important and that has a, sort of an everyday significance as well as a kind of a heavier theological significance. And uh, those, those things are important, and my book aims to address those three areas. So I'm going to start. Uh, there'll be a link I'll put in the description of this afterwards. But uh, I don't have a lot of time for anything other than setting my phone up and ranting, and then reposting that to a couple different places. So, it is what it is. We'll get it done. The, uh, the link for my book is... Follow the leader dot one O N E slash book. Keeping it simple up in here. Follow the leader dot one slash book. The uh, it's less than a hundred pages because everything is laser focused on what I aim to accomplish. It's a very straightforward book. Uh, essentially, the uh, blue collar is being ignored. Mainstream. Evangelical media speaks almost exclusively to white-collar audience, which is a shame because blue-collar men don't have anybody that speaks to them directly. Uh, talk to any missionary. If you're not speaking your mission field's heart language, you're not going to reach them. If you're not speaking the language that they learn and they speak every day, if they're having to translate for you, you're not going to reach anybody nearly as powerfully. You'll, you'll pull some away, but not... It, it won't be um, multiplied, right? There's a, a way to do things. Yes, the Holy Spirit works. God provides the growth. Yes, but that doesn't mean you don't have to plow the field. That doesn't mean you don't have to fertilize and water. And if you do learn to plow the field, fertilize and water, you're going to have a much larger harvest because you do the work more efficiently. In the same way... It's the pastor's job not just to spread the message, but to spread the message in an effective way. That means using the language of different people groups, right? Uh, yes, we're all, we're in America, we're all American, um, barring people that immigrate here. I will tell you, I have more in common with a Hispanic electrician than I do with, um, an Anglo-Saxon heritage, American-born uh, lawyer. I 
I mean, we'll speak the same language more naturally, sure, but um, the guy that's on a ladder every day pulling wire and terminating plugs, I'm, I'm going to have more in common with him, uh, no matter who he is. And we're going to communicate in a very similar way, even though the language barrier is, is real. Um, so I'm just trying to point out there's a cultural language barrier that involves a, a cross-section of vocabulary, of uh, values for things. When you're talking to people and you assume that most people wake up at 7 in the morning, that's early for them, and they're at work by 9, and they go home at 5, you're going to say things and expect jokes to land, and what actually happens is you wind up alienating the uh, part of the audience that uh, has to get up at 3 in the morning to be at work by 4.30 or 5, depending on the day, and uh, telling him that God's not awake during his his devotional time every morning. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty ignorant uh, way to speak, and it makes it difficult for the man that gets up at 3 in the morning to, uh, to have his devotional time to really engage with your sermon after that. Uh, you create an uphill battle for him when you didn't have to. You could have chosen another joke or thought about it a little differently. Um, so that's the whole point of the book. The biggest thing I want to do, too, is not... This doesn't come across by as a complaint or like, oh, it's a poor victim group. Nah. Uh, blue-collar guys are getting along just fine. That's why nobody's saying anything. They don't care. They'll figure it out on their own. That's how the kind of people they are. So I'm saying this because I know a lot of pastors. Electrician I am, I'm a Bible college dropout first and then became an electrician. And so I know a lot of people who are pastors currently. You know, I've seen them in the candor in the halls of the dorm and stuff. I know not just them as like, oh, they're on the pulpit or oh, they're in a suit every Sunday doing worship. Like, I know them when they're relaxed with their shoes off talking with the guys. Like, I know their heart as much as a man can, they, they would want to know if their message was landing, not just flat, but like grating and discordant with up to a third of their audience, depending on uh, what we can know from the Pew Research polls. Um, anywhere from 30 to 50% of an average church is blue collar. Um, it slices down a little differently. It depends exactly how you nail down and define blue collar. But if we can't speak in generalities, it's hard to have a meaningful discourse about anything. Uh, if you get in too into the weeds on specifics, you can't have a meaningful discussion about general trends. Um, but at some point, the general trends have to be boiled down to specifics. I get it. Anyway, that tension is called human communication. It's a fun thing. What I'm trying to say, though, is that Anywhere from 30 to 50% of an co average church congregation is blue-collar. They get up at O-Dark 30, and they go work long hours. Or they work on the weekend somewhere, all the time. Or they work in the evenings. There are a lot of people who don't go to church at all because they work weekends all the time and can't avoid it. They work evenings all the time can't avoid it. You can't go to any church function... If you work every evening and almost every weekend, you can't go to any church ever, uh, generally speaking, right? 
How many churches have a full service with childcare and everything, worship and message at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday? How many? Now, yeah, that's a lot of manpower commitment. I understand. I just want you to think through how many, because the answer is zero. Or so close to zero, it'd be like one in Iowa somewhere, right? Uh, you might scrape together 25 across the U.S. if you knew exactly where to look. Um, so, what are you going to do, right? What has to happen is just be aware that this world exists. Be aware that simply consolidating your church to weekday night small groups and weekend church services means that you preclude a large portion of the population at large from ever entering your church doors. And that's the only way you gather as a body. You're sunk, man. I mean, you're not, you're not going to be able to help any of those people. How do you expect to reach them for Christ if they can't even make the one meeting time? How do you expect them to come to a saving knowledge of Christ and the gospel if you expect them to take time off of work that they don't get? Like, they don't get paid leave. If you do, it's maybe a week for the whole year. And it's at a job where you don't just get to say, hey, I'm leaving early on Friday. All right, we'll see you later, Bob. That's not how it operates. You're there to the very last minute. If you have to stand around and do nothing, you're there to the last minute. That's, that's blue-collar work everywhere. Um, so, I mean, how do you expect him to show up to leave at noon for a men's conference, for a weekend men's conference, so he can drive for three hours to uh, check in a hotel and be there for the 7 at night uh, Friday night event? Like, you, the, the whole idea that somebody would, you know, I, yeah, men's conferences are a big deal. There's a lot of people that go to them. you got to... Basically, everybody has Saturday off to the men's conference. Well, yeah, but there's never a full-day event men's conference for any other day of the week. So any corrections officer, any law enforcement officer, any fire uh, medic, uh, factory worker, anybody who has irregular days off, they can never show up to that. They can functionally never show up to that. Or if they do... That's now one less day they get to spend with their family outside of work on a weekend for stuff that matters to them. So, it's this is important. Nobody's addressing it, so I'm addressing it, and I'm, I'm trying to make that message as loud as possible. Uh, blue-collar blind spot, right? There's a blind spot for blue-collar Americans that the uh, evangelical churches have. Yes, I'm broad-brushing a lot of that. Yes, there are small churches that do a lot of good work. The largest, the loudest voices with the largest churches and the most books to their name are not addressing it. In general, uh, in the research I've been able to do personally, because nobody's addressing it, it's been a five to one, four to one. Four to one? No, five to one. Uh, It's a five to one. Five white-collar references for every one blue-collar reference. If you look at people that have the most books, that are on the bestseller lists on Amazon, I cross-reference eight different top 100 Amazon lists. 
Um, it wound up still only being about 320 authors because there's so much overlap between lists and so many of the authors had more than one um, more than one book to their name. Uh, you know, like C.S. Lewis is a bunch, Tony Evans is a bunch, uh, Joyce Myers is a bunch. So there's a lot of those. So there's a lot of overlap in all that. Uh, anyway, so about 327 authors. Um, there were zero that came from career blue collar. Uh, there were some with some military backgrounds because you had like Navy SEALs that would become a senator that would write a book. Uh, C.S. Lewis, obviously. Oh, wait, what am I doing? This one? Is this right? Oh, the exits over here are so confusing. Anyway, um, I think we're doing this this way. Probably. All right, we'll figure it out. The Lord will guide me. Um, uh, I apologize for the long pauses and the multitudinous ums. Anyway, biggest churches, loudest voices, most books, none of them are blue collar. Absolutely none of them. Our career, factory, construction, any trade, and then moving on to the, uh, then moving on to the professional ministry. None of them. They're like 99.9% are uh, white collar, uh, usually lawyers, that then move into full time minister. Or they'll be seminary trained right into full-time ministry out of college. They'll start from a, a young buck who knows nothing, go right to seminary, come right out of seminary, start leading a church, and then start cranking out books. Um, that's not a way of complaint, it's just a fact. I understand their skill set leans that way. I make all these provisos in the book, too. Yes, having a skill set, like lawyers make excellent professional ministers. There's a reason they're the multitude, I get it. Uh, only 1 in 16 has any blue collar at all. And that's because I counted... Um, what's the... I forget her name. I'm awful with names. But the girl who wrote the book, Girl, Wash Your Face, and like five others, she had worked in a factory when she was in college for like a summer. And Francis Chan worked at Taco Bell uh, one time when he was in college. That's it, man. Like, that's it. Nobody comes from a career trade skill background nobody comes from factory construction site um, from a service technician background nothing um, you, you gotta dig you got like uh, old school stuff like uh, old school Pentecostal Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber for 50 years and then that's like it then you're going back to like Moody who is a uh, no, he was a shoe salesman. The other guy, William something or other, was uh, a cobbler who actually made the shoes. So, that's that's all I want to point out. The other thing is that... Uh, uh, magnified blue collar boy. I'm trying to remember my three-point outline while I'm driving, and I think I might be slightly lost. I think I'm going to take this exit and figure out where on earth I'm at. So it's, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Um, oh, work. Work is important. It's, it's fundamental. It's foundational. It's how we worship God. 
a way we worship God, right? It's not exclusive, but it's, it is a huge part of it. And it's treated like this drudgery or some tedious obligation that, oh, we got to go to work every day. Look, back in the day, old school, life as it was, God dropped man on this earth and he said, hey, you have to eat food. Good luck scraping it out of the dirt. Now you're expected to provide for yourself and for your family by scraping your living out of the dirt. And that's okay. That's good and right. God wants us to do that. Everybody says, oh, work is a curse. No, it's not. Well, okay, right, right. but we, we picture curse and we're like, oh, it's evil, this wicked thing. Uh, no, God gave us that curse. And every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father, coming down from the Father of lights. Okay? Yeah, it's not fun. When a father spanks his son, it's out of discipline and out of love. When you're grounded, when you're sent to the room, when you get paddled, like that's because they love you. It's a gift. And instead of running away and crying about it, you should learn to stop, withstand the punishment, figure out, and learn from it. Find the lesson in it. But you don't do that by running away and crying and, ah, no, stop. You lean into it. And you say, I'm going to take this like a man. And that's how Christians need to handle work. Need to handle the task God put before us. Because it's in hard work that you have all of the lessons of life and godliness. Alright? You can't flip a page in the New Testament without Jesus referring to farming. Or building. Or fishing. These are all hard manual labor jobs. But they give him the footing to explain the gospel to people. It's amazing. And then, of course, Christ as carpenter is super important because carpenter, uh, the same word tectone throughout the Old Testament, right at the very end, as the Israelites have fallen away, refers to a, um, oh, my mind just went blank. It referred to idol makers. The carpentry trade goes from being the people that made the tabernacle to the people that craft idols in, um, in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And uh, I think Ezekiel touches on it a little bit. That's a big deal. Um, and so for Christ to then spend 20 years potentially as a carpenter is huge. Um, you know, he starts learning the trade at around 10, 11 years old. And then at 30, and it, we don't even know exactly 30, right? We, uh, Luke says about 30. He then goes on to full-time ministry as a rabbi, right? He's a 20-year veteran construction worker, as a carpenter, building stuff out of wood. And he spent 20 years redeeming the trade of carpenter because it had been corrupted to be the idol makers. That's a facet I've never heard a pastor talk about from the pulpit. And I only discovered myself when I started looking into this stuff. Um, You hear a lot of nonsense about, you know, Jesus was actually a stonemason or he was just like a random unskilled slave laborer. I've done the research personally and no, he wasn't. That's nonsense. Take the word tectone in the Greek and just read sources, first century, uh, I went up to like second century sources, uh, literary Greek, all of the Septuagint, it all unanimously agrees. Nine times out of ten, it's a carpenter. It's a guy who cuts wood with an axe to make stuff. Um, You know, maybe it's tools, maybe it's furniture, sometimes it's a house, sometimes it's a boat, sometimes it's not a boat, it's something else. You know, sometimes it's just the furniture in the house. But it's always a guy with an axe cutting wood up to make stuff. 
It's a skill trait. There's a philosopher who compares philosophy to the skill of a craftsman, the skill of a carpenter swinging an axe around, right? So this is, um, I mean, it becomes obvious when you actually just do the legwork and uh, follow the footnotes. The, the footnotes for Jesus being a stonemason are stupid. It's one guy in one book cites a single like pamphlet from some Holy Land guy who just guessed based on there's a lot of stone houses in Zipporah, which is just, what? It's a big city near Galilee. Okay, well, all the houses are stone. Okay, what are the chairs made out of? What are the tables made out of? How do you stack the stone up? You put it on a wood table, and then you carve it, and then you carry it up wood scaffolding and wood ladders and wooden pulleys to put it into place. you telling me there's no room for carpenters there? That's like saying there are no electricians in a mining town. There are no plumbers in a mining town because they're miners. So anybody who worked a blue collar, they're all miners. That's, that's dumb. There's no infrastructure to make the masonry happen. Come on now. And that still assumes he's traveling over there to do stuff. If you read Justin Martyr, you know, oh, well, Justin Martyr was writing in, you know, the, the second century in the 100 AD period, AD 100. Well, yeah, guess what? He was born four years after the uh, Revelation was written in 96. Most people put Revelation in 96 AD. Four years later, Justin Martyr is born. And then all of the people he learns from are maybe one or two degrees from John, the apostle, and the original apostles. He's, ta- he's within, easily within four degrees of the original apostles. You're telling me he doesn't know what he's talking about? He grows up, grows up speaking Greek on a regular basis. And he doesn't know what he's talking about, that he just assumes tectone means carpenter. Because it means carpenter! Anyway, that's rant done. I have an entire chapter about it in the book because it's important. And it relates all to this giving dignity to blue-collar trades. Christ chose to be a carpenter. That was an intentional choice. He chose who his dad was. He chose his job. That's a big deal. So anyway, that's my book. Uh, i got a little better lighting now. Bah, bah. It looks kind of awesome. You can't really read it right now, but the, the hand holding the hammer is the best. And uh, that's it. I will see you guys next time. i got to finish the last like quarter mile because I think I missed an exit or something. So, that's it. I will see you next time. Godspeed.